All right. Hebrews 13 is where you said we're going, Russell? 10 through 13. Hebrews 13, 10 through 13? Or 14, yeah. 10 through 14. Okay. We chapter have an altar. Wait. It's in chapter 13. Okay. Um, it's breaking a little bit on the internet, so I'm sorry, but what chapter? Chapter 13. Gotcha. You, 10, you 10, 10. Yeah, it, it's choppy. Uh, it probably is on our end, but go ahead. 10 to 14. Okay, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, he... Let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Okay, so so I was told that I need to read that uh, from from the uh, Q people, former Q people. Are you picking up anything out of that uh, outside of uh, outside of? I mean, we're seeking the city which is to come. Maybe there's not enough context there for me. Is what I'm figuring. Um. Well. It's interesting that it comes under the category of that part of Hebrews, which is a warning regarding strange doctrines. I find that interesting, don't you? Yeah, because this is, uh, well, I just, I didn't know if there was something esoteric here that I was not getting. Anyway, um, well, uh, the context of it, like I say, is 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 a warning about strange doctrines. Um, so, if we were to go back to verse nine, be not carried out. I'm in Hebrews thirteen, number nine. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. It's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We do have an altar, wherefore they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go, therefore, go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. 
example, we have, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well well pleased. Now, that's interesting to me because the sacrifice of praise to God, I was, um, that definitely says God's pleased with it, doesn't it? And I never thought of it as a sacrifice, giving thanks to his name. I just thought it was a duty. Well, and, uh, and honestly, you know, right here, what you have, is an emphasizing of the truly incompatible nature of the sacrifice of Christ, which is the the Christian acknowledgement of his death, burial, and resurrection for the sin of Jacob Israel, which caused them to be separated. Remember, Judah was was still did not receive the bill of divorce but they played the harlot also and and in fact god was more displeased with them than with jacob israel the ten northern and so what's happening here what's being conveyed is that this is why our blood sacrificed of christ that we acknowledge and receive is so much different than that of of Judaism. And we do possess an altar which they have no right to eat at. Um, If this is something that they're conveying, they're still seeking Trump who is maybe not himself i i think i told you guys early on in his presidency i got some you know some pieces of information that he'd made a conversion to judaism and i couldn't ever i couldn't ever verify it i didn't have a piece of anything that i could go to and say okay that's truly legit here he is um, you know, doing certain, you know, Jewish acts or here is the newspaper article or whatever. Um, so I'm not sure what they're telling you because... <clears throat> well, finish it. Finish it. Uh, go, finish 17 and 18. 17 and 18. Uh, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Uh, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you, the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to his will, 
working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, I Like I say, I'm, I'm not sure what it is that they are trying to, to convey, but as I say, the context of this has everything to do with strange doctrines, and one of the strangest doctrines that we have is the strange doctrines of Jews and Christians um, being, you know, in harmony with one another under one umbrella, if you will, and that being Christ Jesus, when they clearly dis- disregard him, treat him as a, you know, nothing more than, you know, uh, a bastard child born of a prostitute conceived in her menstrual cycle, um, and a whole bunch of other profane uh, things. So, again, as I say, I can't stress it enough. I don't know what they're talking about, but Hebrews 13, 10, and 11 are absolutely including 12. Uh, We're talking about the holiest of holies, and that being Jesus Christ, and not being anything whatsoever to do with uh, Jewish sacrificial meals and Jewish sacrificial worship. So I would have to ask them to clarify what it is that they think that, you know, you need. So from my standpoint, I'm telling you that's what those verses are about. And does that, does that now, now, that, now that we've gone into that, does it make any sense to you at all why they've told you to go read those? No. No, because I was told that I'm giving up. I'm I'm gonna put the cue behind me. That's what I was told by the leadership. We're gonna move another direction away from cue. I said I think that would be very wise. But they're not ready to leave Trump. But I'm off the Trump train. And, uh, well, you've been off. You've you've been off. You've been off the Trump train. Um, yeah, and I, that's what, I never, yeah. I never really hopped on the front car, but I was so hopeful. I was so hopeful. I just watched too much of him prior to seeing him be president. I watched, I saw, when we watched that Apprentice show, he probably watched it for a year because I thought it was an interesting gig. And, um. I noticed that he always favored the Jew in the show. Always. You know, he'd have celebrities on there. And like the Jew would always be the one that didn't get fired. So that struck me as curious. Anyway, uh, thanks for that input. I don't know what you wanted to discuss tonight. Well, I guess I'll start by saying good evening. I'll start by saying good evening to Isaac. Good evening. Uh, Russell just said that his his Q entourage that 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 keep telling him that Q's got it all under control and been telling him that for a year why he wasn't buying it and and they were getting more and more upset with him as every every week went by for the last 52 weeks because Russell was throwing water on the Q detail. And uh, 
so now they, they told him, okay, we're done with Q, and they directed him to Hebrews 13, 10 to 13, and 10 to 14, and told him that's, he needs to go read that. Well, we just read it, and uh, we find, I find it really interesting that it has to do with uh, the strange doctrines, um, and one of the strangest of the strange doctrines was the Jewish feast doctrines, that this is specifically in relationship to or specifically is addressing. And, you know, these are the things that sometimes in these scriptures you can't know and understand not taking a little more time to delve into some of the history surrounding the, the time period and so forth, giving rise to some of these things that are being spoken of. Um, and so we're not sure where it goes or what it was why he was directed to those verses, but uh, after we read through them and put it in the context, um, I guess neither one of us know what is being missed there, uh, that he was supposed to be so moved to go read Hebrews 13. Maybe they got the scripture wrong, Russell. Did you ever consider that? They got the, well, they got the, key, they well, got the Q detail wrong. <laughs> I think that, Fourteen's probably the one that they were wanting to wrap all this around, saying that that we are seeking the city which is to, which is to come. Maybe that's, in other words, maybe they're saying, "Don't be so down. There's something better to come." Yeah. Well, there is. Uh, yeah, there, there, there is, there is something better to come, but. When this maybe book was being, I said maybe they were wanting to encourage. I, I don't know. The meeting is tomorrow night. I haven't decided whether I'll attend or not. But yeah, well, well, um, you know, I, I have to to read your email point by point, and I thought that was a pretty good, pretty good exchange of ideas. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, uh, I'd I'd probably uh, leave that for another time. But uh, uh, you're talking about specifically one change of idea that that we had talked about. I'm thinking maybe. Uh, yeah, with the uh, the guy in another state. Yeah, yeah, I said I'd probably leave that for another time, but I was wondering if you were mentioning the idea that I that I put forth in that one, if that's what you were you were referring to. If, if I you thought were, it was an interesting change, actually. Yeah, yeah, well, and... You know, I gained a little uh, insight into his character. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like you said, we can say that for another time. Yeah, there's uh, some concepts there that we can we can open the door up probably at some future day, but. Um, as far as anything specifically, did I hear you start to say something, uh, Isaac? Uh, no. No? Okay. 
um, we've got a little choppy internet, so pardon me if I if I break in or something and I I step on somebody because I'm not hearing somebody. But um, um, yeah, I didn't really have too much that I had been covering in my own thoughts or trying to to do or anything. But um, there were some things that. I keep thinking about this aggravation that I've got <laughs> and the aggravation centers around um, this this inappropriate appellation being attributed to various individuals. And that's been on my mind. And, and so as I began to try to look at a way to try to address this, some way different, I guess, than than perhaps it it may have been addressed or isn't addressed or whatever. I, I I found myself kind of getting into a little bit of a study and and I was thinking about maybe titling the fellowship Jesus the Jew. Yeah, kind of modeling off of the idea that Pastor Peter's, you know. Uh, Maybe the message won't get you, but the title sure would. <laughs> so I was—I don't know. You guys are awful silent. What do you think about Jesus the Jew as the title? <laughs> Nobody's even going to say anything. Good grief! <clears throat> Isaac Russell. No, not a step in that track. Jeremiah, anybody in? What's that, Russell? I had to mute you and put the barking dogs out. I'm all ready to hear about you. Oh, all right. Well, as I say, excuse me. You know, the thing that keeps bothering me is is this this appellation that just keeps being thrown out there and that is everybody that you know from your New Testament I guess that's a prominent figure um, he's a Jew uh, Paul's a Jew Jesus is a Jew you know everybody's a Jew and and if you haven't recognized in most churches in the land that's what you're going to hear also. And so I, you know, started to basically, I don't know, open up the door to see what I could do about trying to, we did our series of fellowships, Israel, Judah, and Jew. And I, and I think that is, I would like to believe that others could think that that is a very, you know, very solid piece of, of, you know, study that was done over those six or seven or eight fellowships, whatever it was, and it it would pretty well answer that question for good, <clears throat> or at least cause people to question that appellation. You know, and and well, it, it's it's. Let me make a statement, Doug, for just a second. You know what an an anathema is, right? Am I saying it correctly? An, 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 anathema? Not an, 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 an enigma, sorry. 
There you go. An enigma. An enigma is what I meant to say. Uh, that word Jew is an enigma. It's like the birth of Jesus Christ. It, it could be and it could not be depending on your understanding of the word. So all these people that, that everybody thinks is a Jew, well, it's possible that they're Judean. They just never thought of it that way, do you think? Well, yeah, you know, if I'm saying that it's an enigma in the sense that it's very mysterious that people do it, it's very puzzling that they do it, and it's very mm-hmm. difficult to understand why they do it, then absolutely, it's quite an enigma. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like the word prejudice. The word prejudice simply means to prejudge or use experience on your next behavior based exactly. on your past experience. So it's exactly. a dirty word. So, so yeah, the, uh, the appellation is the meat. That's the trick bone. That's the con, isn't it? That is the yeah, yeah. It 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 is um, uh, it it is a lie. Um, now, the only way the statement cannot be a lie is if, when making that statement, those making it qualify exactly what it is that they mean when saying it. So I think that it would be well for all of us to keep that in mind as we go along. And when we hear that term or that appellation being applied, that we ask specifically what it is that they mean when they say that. Because that's really the best, that's really going to be the best way to get people to think about what it is that they're saying and the inference that they are uh, deducing. I find it's not much difference than hell and and Satan. There's some similarities. Mm -hmm. Because they, they take you to a place they want you to go. And like that red herring, they get you off the path. I think that's a very healthy approach. Is what do you mean by Satan? What what exactly? Yeah. What do you you know? Or Jew? Right. Or when you when you say right when you say Jesus was a Jew, can you tell me how it is that you arrive at that? Uh, when you say that Paul was a Jew, can you tell me exactly how it is that you arrive at that? Um, so, like I said, I thought of titling the message Jesus the Jew and then subtitling it, really? Because, again, you had to notice the inflection. You see, really? That's question. But if I said Jesus the Jew, really? That would be an exclamation. I would be exclaiming that. So there's a difference between exclaiming it and a question, really. So again, you you wonder whether you wonder whether anybody would catch that. Go ahead, Russell. I'm right there with you. That 
You watch how these Cracker Jacks intonate their voice and work their voice. That There's a reason for all that drama. And when you can see a guy like the guy in Houston, um, I, don't, I can't think of his name, but he's Hollywood in Houston. It's got the Million Man Church. Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. He avoids that that the controversial stuff because it just divides people. He's there to unify. Yeah. Well, all right. So, um, as I say, I there's I, I don't know. The majority of the church world emphatically thinks that this is just a no-brainer. This is just a factual truth. And uh, as I say, unless the person saying it can qualify that statement, it's not a no-brainer. In fact, it begins the source of much confusion, and not only in the minds, but also in the minds of those that they're saying it to. And it is correct that Jesus was born of Mary, daughter of Joachim. And, but the first thing that I think we've got to make ourselves aware of and those is that there are two accounts of the genealogy of Jesus. A lot of people aren't aware of this, probably never even thought about it, maybe never even had it brought up to them, but there's one account in Matthew 1 to 16, chapter 1, 1 to 16, and there's another account in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. And the first thing the student of the Bible recognizes is that the two accounts are not the same. And that's no small matter. But with a little bit of study, one can overcome that discrepancy. And whether or not the pastor in the church that they attend has ever done that or not remains to be known or understood when you're conversing with these people who say that Jesus was a Jew. And my purpose right here is not to to fatigue us with the apparent discrepancy, but I'll let it suffice to say the discrepancy has had its intention by some to discount the entire gospel truth of Christ as the Messiah. But we can rest assured, however, that God does not lie And he abides in his commands, and as such, man has to fully account for this. The entire issue of the differing accounts has been fully addressed in our Christian church history. If I were to give a Cliff Notes version, it's this. Matthew's account follows the lineage of Joseph, while Luke follows the lineage of Mary. With both, however, starting from Jesus and then going to Joseph, not Mary. Early Christian father, Julius Africanus, reminds us of the Leverite marriage law in Deuteronomy 25, 5-10. The brother of a deceased Israelite who did not have a child was permitted to take the widow 
as his wife, raise up seed to his deceased brother. What Eusebius records from Julius Africanus for us at History of the Church 1-7 is that Matan, a descendant of Solomon, begat Jacob. After the death of Matan, Melchi, remember that word, name, Melchi, a descendant of Nathan, begat Heli by the same woman. Therefore, Heli and Jacob must be uterine brothers. Heli died childless. Jacob raised up his seed by, by begetting Joseph, who was his son, according to the flesh, and Heli's son, according to the law. So we can say that Joseph was the son of them both, end quote. Now, where he said Melchi, he misstated, it's not Melchi, it's Mephat. But Julius Africanus mistakenly refers to that in his genealogical record, but he was correct on all accounts. It's interesting that in both the two accounts, Matthew and Luke, they intersect at Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. You see that at Matthew 1, 12 and 13, and Luke 3, 27. And the Leverite links are evident in the genealogy recorded both at the beginning and the ends of the record in both Matthew and Luke regarding the lineage. Nathan was the elder brother of Solomon. Well, I should say it this way. Nathan was the elder brother, Solomon the younger. And that is seen in 2 Samuel 5, 14 to 16 and 1 Chronicles 3, 5. So we have no biblical record of Nathan's passing but we have no record of any children either. Knowing that Solomon had a penchant for women anyway, and he certainly had the means to raise them, likely he perfected the seed of Nathan, fulfilling the Leverite duty, making Mapada Solomon's biological father, but Nathan's son by law. And we know that this was being practiced and being observed, this biblical law, at the time of Christ, because you recall the Sadducees put that question to Jesus in Matthew twenty-two twenty-four. It's parallel as Mark twelve nineteen and Luke twenty twenty-eight about a woman, the subject of seven of these husbands, and what her relationship would be to them in the heavenly realm, but. That is a nutshell, if you will, or a quick synopsis of why the two apparent discrepancies of the two genealogies, and that needs to be understood, at least to the extent that somebody doesn't try to deceive you into believing, well, Jesus was a Jew because of something that they would try to use Jewish and Judaism's um, matriarchal system in which to uh, try to 
make Jesus a Jew. So that's the one thing that probably could, and it it's likely something that's been used in the seminaries. Having never been to seminary, I, I don't know, but that little bit of a summation there that I just gave you in just a few minutes took me nearly seven hours to actually walk myself through it and get an understanding and find the basic resources and so forth that led me to that understanding about what it was that Julius Africanus actually conveyed very early on. So he was one of the pioneers that figured out that the reason those two genealogical accounts in Matthew and Luke were there and why they differed, he was the guy that sat down and figured it out. So I'm not even going to take credit for it, not even attempt to take credit for it, because I wouldn't even take credit for it, because there's no need to. Um, so I don't want anybody thinking that I'm so smart or anything else, but I did spend quite a bit of time to try to understand that because I really did not have any idea why exactly the two accounts differed and what the discrepancy was. So we're going to qualify our statements when we say Jesus was a Jew. Really? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is we've really got to get people, when they start saying these things, and when they say, you know, Paul was a Jew, whoever it is that they're going to uh, tag that appellation to, they need to qualify it. And as long as we're able to qualify our statements, then we're not going to have any issues. But if we're going to not know our qualifications correctly, then we're going we're gonna to have this kind of stuff continue, continually pop up and we're not going to be able to successfully refute it. But one of the most important things is I began to think so much about this, and I was reading through the Gospels this past week. I was really struck by another thing that I had not really, I guess, known even existed. Um, Maybe it's just because I never even thought of it in my mind. But I want to ask each of you a question and get an answer. And there's not a trick to this. I just want to get a sense of what you guys would say. Because I think you would say the same things that I would think and say. And probably so would, you know, 99,000 of 100,000 would do the same thing. Uh, the question is, do you have any idea or what would you say was the most prominent location of Jesus' ministry? And Isaac, since you're pouncing in my screen, I'll say you're first. Uh, the most prom- uh, the the Middle East. Oh come on now! Give me. Uh, <laughs> I, I want you to. 
I want you to be a little better than that in your geography. That's, that's a, a really good answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> uh, I'll give you that. Uh, Judea. Okay. Um, Russell. A little more specific. I said repeat the question, please. Where would you say that the predominance of, of Jesus' ministry and even his teachings or miracles occurred? I guess Judea was just a gift. Two for Judea. Rich. What's that? Galilee. Could you hear that, Jeremiah? Yeah, he said Galilee. Yep. Okay. And Jeremiah, what would you say? Um... Well, Jerusalem or Judea. Okay. All right. Well, there, I think, is a pretty broad spectrum of, of, of the answer. Um, the answer, actually, I, maybe I need to clarify it, and it would not be 99,000 in 100,000. Uh, perhaps it would be 9 in 10. Uh, Rich actually gets an A-plus for tonight and he can probably just quit listening. I will have Jeremiah put a star on you. Jeremiah, can you put a star on his little icon there for us? <laughs> uh, no, it, see, and, and that's a funny thing. You know, it's something, like I say, I never really thought very much about, and uh that's exactly what Rich said, Galilee. And as I started going through some of the scriptures, I was going, you know, this is really something that once again helps, should be able to help people to not just so hastily refer to Jesus as a Jew. Now, I am not so blind as to not recognize that the first thing they would say was, you know, if they have enough knowledge and and Bible study, they'd say, well, he's called a Jew because he's of the tribe of Judah. But then once again, we just have to send them the six or seven part fellowship we did, Israel, Judah, and Jew, and we would totally defeat that again. So I just thought it was interesting because, um, you know, as you go through things, um, you really find that Jesus spent the vast majority of his time in his three-year ministry, a little over three-year ministry, in the region of Galilee. Galilee is, a, is an area that is an expanse that's north of the, uh, oh, now I'm going to draw a blank on the river. Uh, in my mind, uh, see, it comes across between. I only what? know about the Tigers and the Euphrates. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's not. Um, why am I drawing a blank on that river? I did keep a little map here, I think. Unless I closed that dumb thing, I probably did. Yeah, it looks like I did close it. Uh, Rich, do you have that? in your head oh, the Jordan? 
Yeah. It's not no, a Jordan. No, is it? no uh-uh. Um, see where that map went. How come that map is... Oh, I know what I did. That map is on my Brave browser. Um, I'll pull my Brave browser up and I'll get that map out. But anyhow, this this is from... The Sea of Galilee basically is like the Northern Sea, and then you have the Mediterranean to your west. And this is a region between Gal the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean on the west. Now, the border of the eastern shore of the Mediterranean was actually did not encompass Galilee. So there was probably a 20-mile stretch of land and so forth right down along the eastern border of the shore of uh, the Mediterranean that was not part of Galilee, but it was a very large region, and it was all north of Jerusalem. So we'll start with saying it was all, well, you know, it was north of Jerusalem, and that would hopefully help. Um, and north okay. of Samaria. That is Which correct. Which is also probably important. And, and basically, it, it took in a good bit of Asher and Naphtali land, Zebulun, a little bit of Zebulun, and um, probably not really much of Issachar's uh, territory there. Um, so that was the general, the general region. <clears throat> and as you walk through the scriptures, you find over and over and over and over again that Jesus is in Galilee. And this is where he's doing... So probably I could have rephrased the question and asked, where was Jesus from? And a good portion of the people would think that, well, he was from Jerusalem. And that's why... Or that he was from Judea. And therefore, that's why he was called a Jew. So we're able to refute that part of it as well because this land here that he was from is nowhere near Judea. You know, nowhere near in terms of it's not even in a 50-mile range of it, frankly. So that, well, I think, is I, another thing. Go ahead. Uh well, the, the Judeans didn't get along well with the Sumerians, right? And at least in the accounts that are recorded there in the New Testament, in the Samarias between Galilee and Judea. So as far as I understand, there's a pretty big chunk of people that they didn't like separating the two. Yeah, and... Go ahead, Rich. I was going to say, don't forget about Nazareth. Don't forget about what, Russell? Nazareth? Yeah. Yeah. And Rich, did you start to say something, or was that was that Russell that was speaking? I think it was Russell. Boy, he's really choppy. I, I'm not able to catch that. Somebody else, Isaac, yeah, said you were able to hear him? Uh, he's, he's, it wasn't him. He said it was, he thinks it was Russell. But yeah, his, his, his connection is choppy oh, okay. for me too, so it's not yours. Yeah. All right, good enough. All right, yeah. So um, 
so that that's an important thing uh, again and, and again that's that's well north of of this you know Judea and Jerusalem and so forth so that that's a really big thing I guess that uh, to not let people convince us that well he was from Judea because he's not you know because as Russell said no uh, Nazareth um, and that's something that I guess a lot of people forget about, but it's not insignificant. And But anyhow, going back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 39, Mary goes to the hill country into a city of Judah. And the cities given to Aaron are recorded in Joshua chapter 21, verses 9 to 11, which puts Elizabeth in the area of Jerusalem, specifically a district about five miles out. But Mary is at least 75 to 100 miles from her where she's coming out of Nazareth. So I'm trying to get this people to recognize that Mary, when she goes to see Elizabeth, he's quite a distance away, at least distance as it was in those days. And Elizabeth is in the land of Judah, and it's later called Judea, and Mary is from Galilee, a land north of the Kishon River, and west of the Sea of Galilee, as I say. So why is it important? Because Gabriel says to Joseph of the house of Judah, thus Mary, without further need of explanation, is of Davidic Judah line. And Elizabeth is of Aaron or Levitical line. Judah and Levi are tribes of Jacob Israel. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the land of Judea to a Judahite, Mary, and Joseph, and was crucified in Jerusalem, a city of Judea. So Jesus' birthplace was different than where he was raised and where he grew up and even where he began his ministry. And those are the facts. So we could actually just end right there and say, you know, there's no foundation for saying Jesus was a Jew. Other than making them qualify their statements that he was of the lineage of Judah. And then we would just simply ask, well, how did you make the leap from the tribe of Judah to Jew. Well, most people can't even begin to articulate or extrapolate on that at all. So, but we won't quit there. But even though there's this propensity for modern writers and teachers to use these terms other than the terms that should be used, and rather use the perverted contraction Jew and attribute it to all these individuals, it neglects the essence of the facts which make that attribution really absurd. And as I say, the series that we did in fellowship here, Israel, Judah, and Jew, I think, you know, that's a good one. Um, Just recently, one of our sisters, contacted me by email again and wanted to know if I had something 
that could help answer this question. And, and this is part of what really kept me moving on this particular study, I guess, um, wanting to refute this thing in some other way about Jesus being a Jew. And you know, some might say, well, gee, Doug, you don't really need to go into a long, elaborate thing. Um, but I'm just trying to take away as many of those little points as we can so that we become better at it. But anyhow, I, I reminded her of the Israel, Judah, and Jew series. And um, I've already received an email indicating that that's already made a difference with an individual that she'd been been working with and talking to. But um, so anyhow, uh, as I began to look at some other ways that we could approach it, um, I started looking at all the things that would help us to understand where Jesus spent most of his time and to get people reflecting on that because I think it is helpful. So Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem, as I say, and Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 to 6 now, you find the prophecy of the birth and that prophecy is actually from Micah 5, 2. And again, these are the things that are important because it says that he shall rule my people Israel at Micah 5, 2. And that's another important thing to get, you know, get through to people's heads because if you have the prophecy about him and it says he's going to rule my people Israel, we want to get into their heads the idea that he is to rule that people Israel. And I think that's something that's woefully lacking in the church world. And as a result, this appellation of Jesus being a Jew just keeps added, it keeps getting put out there and put out there and put out there with very little to challenge it. And as we go along from Matthew 2, 5, and 6, you get to Matthew, um, or rather back up to Herod in 2, 3, uh, he's an Egypt and five times, I think it's a couple times in Genesis 25, half a dozen times in Genesis 36 maybe, so, so maybe it's more than a half a dozen times, we're told that Esau is Edom. And you've got to ask yourself, why was it such that he spent so much, made certain that so much you know, was made a point of Esau is Edom. Edom is Esau. You know, it just repeats itself over and over in the books of Genesis from 25 and, and 36 specifically, I think is where I recall them. But so another interesting thing is that Jesus was taken to Egypt right after his birth. So Jesus spent a relatively significant period of time also in Egypt. We don't know how much time because the scripture is a little bit silent on that, but we know that he was in Jerusalem when he was 12 for one of those annual migrations to Jerusalem. So from there, uh, you know, we have some written documents that seem to indicate that Jesus actually, you know, went into, into Europe. But that's not where we're going with this. So, um, but when we were doing our Hosea study, we never got to the prophecy in Hosea 11.1 1, where Christ was to be called out of Egypt. Uh, scripture says, out of Egypt have I called my son. 
and so that's another one of these things that has a dual meaning, if you will. His son was certainly um, the children of Israel. They weren't called that at the time um, because they were the descendants of Abraham. And they got their name, Jacob Israel, through, through Jacob and were then known as the Israelites as time progressed. But um, in chapter 2 of Matthew, verses 19 to 20, Joseph was again visited by the angel and instructed to take the mother and child into the land of Israel. And that encompasses, as I say, from Tyre, which is on the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, down to, to Mount Hermon, 150 to 175 miles in length, probably. I don't have the exact, maybe 75 miles in width is that, that area of, of all of Israel. And in verse 22, it says, hearing Archelaus, son of Herod, and again, I'm in Matthew chapter 2 right now, dropping down to verse 22, hearing Archelaus, son of Herod, the Edomite, was still there, Joseph diverts. He turns aside at verse 23 into Galilee to dwell in a city called Nazareth. And that was to fulfill a prophecy. Oh, oh, there is no such Old Testament prophecy. Can't be found. But Matthew's words do not convey a specific prophecy spoken by the prophet, but rather they convey that which is spoken by the prophets. The prophets convey the scorn with which Christ was going to be treated. And it's the same way the scorn with which people from Nazareth were also held. And so that was another thing that had to be overcome. Oh, there's no prophecy. Can't find that prophecy anywhere. And so that was another interesting thing that I was able to come to because I, I did not think about those words and I had never actually said, oh, well, where's that prophecy at? But as I began to look at it, I then said, where's that prophecy at? And so I couldn't find it. And it was helpful in one of the commentaries that I had, I think I'd read uh, Dietrich and something or other, I forget who they are, and that's where it was conveyed that this is not a specific prophet. This was the general sense of what the prophets conveyed 
about the contempt and the scorn that he would be held in, and then it made all the sense in the world. And certainly chapter 53 of Isaiah conveys that disposition you know, pretty clearly. So he was of no stately origins in a worldly sense, you know, basically. And Isaiah 11 also refers to the netzer or the branch that will grow out of Jesse's roots. And this thought's also carried out in Jeremiah 33 and Zechariah 3.8 and and, uh, 6.12. Lowly, lowly at the root, you know, so to speak, in the dirt. And uh, Jesus is a Nazarene. You know, that's where Joseph took him to dwell after bringing him out of Egypt. And that's not insignificant. So there's no reason for us to call Jesus a Jew because he was a Judean as far as a geographical sense. So we're right back, and that's what I'm trying to do is to help us to keep it right back on the focus but somebody's not saying, well, he was a Jew because he was from Judea. Uh, no, 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 not, not so fast. So I hope that that helps. And then um, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus comes from Galilee. This again makes him a Galilean by geography and a Judahite by lineage. So, you know, we could probably stop right here again because we've got the tools we need to be able to refute that. In verse 12 of Matthew 3, it records this, that when Jesus knew of John being cast into prison, he, he goes north and west back into Galilee. Remember, he was baptized at Jordan, at the Jordan River. Now, we don't know exactly the spot on that. I guess there's some people that have figured a certain sense of where that is, but he definitely was still north of the area called Judea. I was looking at some uh, things that I had written here on my notes. Um, oh, yeah. He dwelt in Capernaum. Because it says he went back into Galilee and he dwelt in Capernaum. So he went into Capernaum for a while. And basically, as we learn from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 and 42, 7, and then Matthew 4, uh, verse uh, chapter 4, verses 12 to 17, He was walking by the Sea of Galilee when he spoke to the two men, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and called them to be fishers of men. And then at verse 21 in chapter 4, you have James and John. And then in verse 23, it says that Jesus went about all Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So, you know, here we are, roughly, you know, four chapters in there on Matthew. And now when we get to Matthew chapter 5 and 6, that's the Sermon on the Mount. And 
he's still in Galilee. And a number of the works that actually were done that you see like in Matthew 8 and some of the others, that, that's all in Galilee. So he began that ministry in Galilee, quite far removed from Phariseeism, that is the Jewry of Jerusalem. And then in John chapter 1 is where you have the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. Philip, Andrew, and Peter are all from Bethsaida, it says. That's the north side of the Sea of Galilee, east of Capernaum. So we've got an abundance of information that, that continues to show that he's not remotely connected in terms of the beginning of his ministry, where he was brought as a child um, to dwell, other areas in which he went as he began his ministry. And I thought that might be a good way to approach some of the those that want to continue to use that appellation that Jesus was a Jew. And You know, in going to look at, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on anything while I get ready to kind of uh, regroup on some thoughts here because I, I I didn't have a lot of time to put some things together here but I took some general notes and I wanted to I think it's in Matthew no it's in John chapter 1 that's where it is John chapter 1 verses 43 to 45 the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find Philip and says unto him follow me now Philip was of Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter Philip finds Nathanael and says unto him we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph once again Jesus of Nazareth and he even says of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Well, that reference is Moses at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And again at 49.10, and again at Deuteronomy 18.18. And the prophets would be Isaiah, Chapter 4, verse 2, Isaiah 7 and 14, and 9 and 6, and 53, 2, and then Micah 5, 2, which we went over, and Zechariah 6, uh, 12, and, and, and also 9, 9 that I'd already mentioned. So, 
So there's the prophecies, uh, again, regarding this Jesus of Nazareth. So, as I say, I think we've got plenty to defeat those who would immediately respond and say, well, he was a Judean. So, as I say, the only thing it gives them, if we can qualify and and unequivocally um, defeat that argument that it was geographical, then they're right back to having to admit that he was of the tribe of Judah. Now, some might say, well, yeah, we already know all that. Well, what's the big deal? Okay, but in order to know that, then you have to be able to try to explain to us how it is that you go from the word or from the appellation, the tribe of Judah, to a Jew. And that's the biggest difficulty. So, like I say, if, if, if it's not a geographical reason that they respond that he was a Jew, then it has to be that he was of the tribe of Judah. And then the next thing is to ask them how it is that they're making that leap from being of the tribe of Judah to being called a Jew. And that has to be specifically said. You know, they've got to have some reasoning behind how it is that they derive at that. And <clears throat> so um, those were just some things that I thought might really be helpful as we continue to try to, you know, bring people to an understanding of the truth. And this thing that you hear so much, Jesus was a Jew, I just think we've really got to address that. And, you know, even that Paul was a Jew. There's nowhere in Scripture where Paul is referred to as a Jew. In fact, Paul, when explaining himself who he is, he said, I'm a Roman. I, too, am a Roman citizen of the tribe of Benjamin an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. But nowhere does he refer to himself as a Jew. But if somebody's going to make that appellation without any foundation or just expect you to accept it, we've got to stop them from making those references. And the only thing I can figure out is either they simply do not know or they're simply being dishonest with those that they're speaking with and expect them to be dumber than they are, and therefore they feel like they can get by with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's another tool in the toolbox. Yeah, I mean, that that really is, I think, a good analogy because... I'm I'm trying to always see how we can, you know, put the tools in our toolbox. And in essence, they've got all these tools in the toolbox that we're always having to take out and say, this tool doesn't belong here. Not only does this tool not belong here, we don't even have tools like this anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is something you would use when you don't have the chainsaw anymore, you know? Um, it's just really incredible to me. But So Philip's title or appellation is Jesus of Nazareth, and that appellation is only one of nearly a couple of dozen times 
that this is used in the scriptures. He's not called the Jew from Galilee or the Jew from Nazareth or even Jesus the Galilean Jew or even Jesus the Nazarite Jew. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's the same way they tried to demonize Germans in the United States prior to the war to the wars we had with the Germans. Um you know, they try to make that great leap. Um in uh Go ahead. Uh, I explain myself. <laughs> Very good. Go ahead. Um, in John chapter two, verse eleven, it says, "This beginning of miracles did Jesus of Cana, Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him." So I, I skipped over the, the turning the water into wine there at John chapter 2, but in John chapter 2, 11, that's where it says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And then while I was doing my research, um, this little thing came up, I believe, in... Um, and I thought it was a very nice tidbit. Um, I'm going to go... I think it was Benson Commentary. And it just was really refreshing. And, and I'm going to share it with you. It really doesn't bear any relationship here. It does in a sense, and I'll explain that. But what was so refreshing to me... Let me read it. The life of Christ manifested a higher form of consecration which is found in being in the world, but not of it, mingling with the men and women who compose it in order as ambassadors of Christ to continue to purify and save. I'll read it again, because I know sometimes if you're not reading it, you, you need it. The life of Christ manifested a higher form of consecration, which is found in being in the world, but not of it, mingling with the men and women who compose it in order as ambassadors of Christ to continue to purify and save. Now, I came across this while I was doing this little study to try to refute the argument that Jesus was a Jew. And the reason it was so refreshing to me is because we find ourselves by the church world being told this world isn't our home um i'm just passing through and all of these other little various phrases and so forth but what benson stated in in his commentary on one of these it, it had to be I, I wrote it right here when i was in matthew chapter three so i believe it was somewhere in here that i was looking at one of the scriptures in chapter verse 12, verse 25, verse 21, because I was looking at everything from three on. But I just wrote this at the top of the page because I thought it was just a very, very good statement that I wanted to remember. Because when I think about my purpose here 
And when I think about what I believe a Christian's purpose is, Christ Christ manifested a higher form of consecration, which is found in being in the world, but not of it. And as a Christian, this world is, as we understand it, many of us here, is his kingdom. He created it to be inhabited. The scripture says so. And he manifested a higher form of consecration, which is found in being in the world, but not of it. We despise what this world does to his kingdom. We despise the way this world contradicts his divine immutable laws. And being in the world, we don't want to be of it in that sense. We are mingling with the men and women of the world who compose it. But as ambassadors of Christ, we're trying to continue to purify and save. Not that we have power to save ourselves, but we save through the purification process, which is to turn to God, abide in his will, abide in his laws, statutes, and judgments, and in that sense, we not only purify, but we save. And I just needed to hear that because I've been getting so much stuff acting as if we're constantly supposed to, I guess, just leave this world in some sense, somehow. And yet, I think that that statement that he wrote was really very sufficient. few words, and was quite adequate. Yeah, I think that is pretty good. You know, I've, I don't like this idea that, uh, that our life here on earth is just, um, it's either, it's either a test and that's it. And maybe you succeed, maybe you fail. Um, but either way, you're just waiting for the punishment to be over. Right. It's like, uh, we're fish, we got thrown in a mud puddle and we're waiting to go up to a pristine lake or something like that. <laughs> you try, try to see through the murk to get to the clean water, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's easy to easy to say that living in an area where you have, you know, relative freedom or enough freedom to uh to to uh, try to live out some of these things, you know, and people haven't always had that. So maybe it's uh, maybe it's easier for me to just say that, but I guess that's where we are right now. Well, yeah, I I think so too, and and especially as we see all the things that that we know the world is doing for the purposes they do it for, for the controls, for the uh, you know, to keep us in bondage, to keep us oppressed, 
and all of these other things, then, then, you know, you can either look at this as being very defeated or you look at it and say, I, you know, I'm, I'm elevated to the highest form. Um, I'm the salt. I get to purify. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I, I'm here, you know, to carry out and fulfill my warrior duty, so to speak. And it's a, it's a lot different mentality and an attitude and really, if that mentality and that attitude exuded through the, the Christian body, I dare say the enemies would truly be afraid of us once again. And they're not. <laughs> they're, they're clearly not, and they're clearly not afraid of God. So um, anyhow, that's... Uh, but as I went through this, and I, I'm not going to go probably much longer in, in anything here, but I as I went on through chapter 7, chapter 8 of Matthew, and I just went through, through Matthew, chapter 10, and there in chapter 10, the 12 disciples were sent out. And, and again, all of those disciples were selected in Galilee, not from anywhere else. He tells us there, you know, um, tells them to go not into the way of the heathen to any city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Um, chapter 11, verse 20, they went to their cities in Galilee, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum. And in fact, Christ told them, woe to those cities because they didn't, they didn't believe and repent. Um, all of the parables in chapter 13 are spoken in Galilee. In fact, the scripture says he was unable to do any of the, those works in, in his own area of Nazareth because there wasn't anybody that wanted to see any works. Wasn't anybody who even cared about any of those works that he would, he would carry out and perform. Um, he was on the Sea of Galilee when he's speaking to them from the ship. Um, but a couple of times when he was in Jerusalem, and even actually he was still in Galilee when scribes and Pharisees came from Jerusalem, I think at chapter 15, and, you know, wanted to know why his disciples didn't, you know, washed their hands when they ate bread. And just just another another profound thing as people go through this, they think all this is happening right there in Jerusalem. And and really the main thing obviously, which is no small matter, was his death, burial and resurrection. And he did do some things in those areas around Jerusalem. But the predominant, predominance of the, the, um, the teaching, the parables, um, much of the gospel message was done in, in Galilee. And I think it's a, it's a good reminder for us to maybe use that as we, you know, show them the various reasons why he's not a Jew by geographical, meaning Judean, 
then they really have to come back to the only thing they can say is that, well, I guess the reason I call him a Jew is because he's of the tribe of Judah, and that contraction of Jew and Judah are one and the same, and that's why I use it. Well, then we now have opportunity to be able to share with them and say, well, guess what? The fact is, is that the Jews, those who call themselves Jews today, trace their religious underpinnings or uh, beginnings all the way back to Phariseeism. So then we would have to say, well, where did Christ ever say he was a Pharisee? So he can't be called... Yeah, he can't be called a Jew because he's a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. And you've given so me a great we, idea. Yeah, go ahead. Can't you just see this bumper sticker? My God was a Galilean carpenter. Yeah. And you see some yeah. people a little cognitive dissonance when they read that. Exactly. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, like you say, it's on the bumper sticker, and as somebody says, huh, and they scratch their head, you know, um, because it's a new thought, you know. It's a thought they haven't had, or it's a thought that's never been shared with them from the pulpit. So that was just something that I just found a little enjoyment this week. And like I say, I didn't need to prove anything to myself, but as I was thinking about these, you know, this inappropriate appellation, it just, this inappropriate name calling, basically, this inappropriate name that is applied. And I just, you know, wound up just going through and I just, started making notes and said, Galilee, Galilee, you know, Capernaum. And I, and I knew many of these things, but there was... Okay. Go ahead. Doug, what's going to happen here is at the end of the day, you know this is going to happen in the conversation. Well, what difference does it make anyway? Exactly. Whether he was being all right. Something else. Um, I just want pe- I just want people to stop putting an inappropriate appellation. I want people to stop using an inappropriate name right. and attributing that I, inappropriate name. I mean, but when you get them to what difference does it make anyway, I think that they've had some movement. <laughs> you know? They've had to they've had to go to their last bastion of argument. And a lot of them aren't even close to that. Yeah, right. And we haven't even got into chapter fifteen with the the woman with the issue of blood and Christ telling her that he was not sent but under the children of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Um, you know, um, chapter 13, 
chapter 16, chapter 1621. From that time forth, he he told them in verse chapter 16, verse 21, that's where he told them that from that time forth, he had to tell them what, what was going to befall him basically in Jerusalem. It seems like really the reason he went to Jerusalem and, and the record in the Gospels would have been the three Passover periods um, and, and, and whatever work he did there at that time was really the reason he was there. And I'm of the, I'm of the opinion as well that it's quite possible that Christ overturned the money changers' temple, tables in the temple more than once. I know the accounts are relatively different, but I got to thinking about that. And I thought, well, maybe there's the possibility that each time he went to Jerusalem, especially as I considered that nearly everything else was done in the Galilee area. Well, hold I on. got to maybe, go ahead. Maybe he maybe he was in Jerusalem for the same reason people go to Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, some politicking and some mind shaping and. You know, that's where the rules are made and administered. You know, we're not supposed well, to deal with politics. Well, and primarily for the children of Israel, Jerusalem was the center of of where you went to offer your offerings and make your sacrifices. And so that was still, pro, you know, a prominent part of Israel, even though they were in pretty much abject apostasy, but... Don't you think it would be some good discourse going on there? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. In fact, when he did go there and he read from Scripture and so forth, you know, they many of them marveled, especially when he said, this day has the Scripture been fulfilled in your ears. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, even the things that he said to him, he said, you know, you you don't receive my teachings, you don't receive my words, and you don't even believe in the signs. And it was at Jerusalem when he said to them that, you know, a, uh, a perverse generation seeks after a sign. Well, why would I want to give a perverse generation the signs lest they should repent? And this is a predominant theme that most Christians can't receive is that God would want them to be held in their apostasy and want them to be held in their um, disbelief and unbelief if they have no intentions and he knows where their hearts really are. Those that hear the call to repent and want to turn from it and get away from it, he's given them every opportunity that he can. But those degenerate who have no nothing in them to want to repent, then he, as the scripture says in the parables convey, is that I speak in parables so that they hearing might not hear and understand and seeing not see 
lest they should hear with their ears and see with their eyes and would be converted and I should heal them. So um, they're watching him and following him all over Galilee. You can bet your bottom dollar. And think about this. It's interesting you brought that up, Rick. Uh, Russell, because I kind of thought about that just before we started here tonight. I thought about, you know, this is just like these guys going around. They want to get the pulse on what everybody's talking out there, what all is going on, so that they can go back to the Madison, as you say, or back to, you know, the Austin, or back to the Boston, and, and they can report on on what's being done and what's being said of the pulse of the people. Well, this guy was clearly being believed on by everybody else but them. Some of them did, but the vast majority did not, certainly those who God did not want to heal. And they were following him around, and he said, the only sign you're getting is put this body well, he didn't say it that way, but basically the only sign you're going to get is the Son of Man is going to go three days into the heart of the earth and then be raised up. And they didn't know what to do with any of that. So he only gave them the sign of Jonah, and they still didn't know what to do with it. So just really, really interesting way, I guess, to once again think about it and to try to approach it. So I know it's at the top of the hour here again. I don't know if there was anything in that to get out or to glean or anything else, but um, I just thought that that would uh, be a... That was what I was thinking of this week. So somebody's got something they're thinking of next week, send me an email, tell me what you're thinking of, and and we'll we'll do that. But I really would like us to get back into Hosea and finish that out. I don't know how long it will take us since we already got six or eight messages and we only got through one and a half to two chapters. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's one that I think we should get back. And, and go ahead. Somebody started to say something? Just noise maybe from the background. It was just uh, your sound looping through somebody's I'm, I'm going to have to close out. I enjoyed it, Doug, and I thank you very much for, for bringing that Well, prayer. good. Yep. Uh, well, let's have some closing try. prayer then before you go. Why don't you lead us in a closing prayer? Lord, we thank you for all the many things you've done for us throughout our lifetime. We thank you for one more. One more piece of knowledge that might help somebody somewhere in this United States where we live to understand this very important truth that we must never minimize, Lord. Thanks for sending this message to us and that we appreciate it. And hopefully we can apply it, Lord. We go out amongst the people. So... I say thank you for it, Jesus. Continue to bless us with knowledge, wisdom, courage to do the right thing in this this confused world we live in. Give us courage, Lord, and we thank you once again in the name of the Holy Jesus. 
we pray. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, I do second that motion. Just thank you for these little nuggets, these little pieces that you you keep revealing to us. And I thank you for that and pray that you'll continue to open our eyes to everything that you've got for us and reveal that which is for our time to be revealed and to understood. Give us the tools and the equipment that we need so we can refute some of these lies and bring people to a better understanding of the truth and why it's important to to not uh, attribute things to you which are not appropriate to attribute. We ask for that, Father, and we pray for your people wherever they are, all over the land. Father, there's people in countries far and wide. We're seeing general news reports of people that are suffering and people that are are. I guess the the powers that be would say they're rebelling and and in fact they're protesting they're raising a voice they're declaring the causes which give rise to their voices of uh, oppression and cries of, of destruction in their lands and father we just pray that you continue to help us to tear down these giants and work against them and we're just continuing to pray for your will to be done in the earth. And we know that sometimes we can't see what you're doing behind the scenes. But Lord, we know that you worked a mighty work in the last four years in exposing evil in this land. And Father, if that's what we need is more evil to be exposed so that your people will wake up and keep the evil coming to be exposed and helping to open those eyes of those people. So we ask these things in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for it. Amen. 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 Well, all right, man. You all have a good night. Yeah, you too. Good night, guys. All right. Good night, all. Good night.